Hello and good morning, Reunion Church Boston. It is such a blessing to be with you virtually this morning. My name is Pierce Van Dunk. I am one of the pastors at Antioch Community Church of Waltham, and I am so happy to be with a group of people who are serving God and who are not afraid to dig into the difficult conversations that our world faces us with today and enter in from the perspective of the people of God, to hear God's heart for justice, for unity, and to not just hear that word, but to be doers of God's word. Amen. That's who we are as the people of God. We don't shy away from tough conversations or actions. We enter in from the perspective of the people of God, the community of faith, the children of the Almighty Father. Now, I try to be very careful with thus saith the Lord. So uh, as the scriptures recommend for those of us who bring the word of the Lord. So I humble myself before you today and I want to do my best to bring the perspective of the scriptures and the perspective uh, of God's word to bear on today's issues surrounding uh, race and, and justice. And I believe that all of us are called to lay our thoughts, lay our ideas, lay our opinions at the feet of Jesus and have them refined by the Savior. Amen. How is God calling us as his church, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven? How is God calling us to operate regarding this concept of race? If we plumb the depths of the scriptures, we see that consistently the biblical writers start first with identity and then move to action. If we begin with, okay, this is what we have to do. This is what we have to change. This is how we have to behave. But we skip out on who God has made us to be as individuals and who God has made us to be as a collective people then we're missing what God wants to do in us. Think of Genesis and how it describes who God crafted and formed us to be in his image, in his likeness, before it begins to describe what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to act. Look at each one of Paul's letters. He always begins by describing who Jesus is and who we are in response to Jesus's identity before he begins to instruct us on how we are supposed to behave with regard to God and with regard to one another. We start with identity and then we move to action. So as we think about race, racism, the that pervasive sin in our society and community today, we start with the question of who are we as God's people? We have to tie this moment of reckoning with racism and injustice that we're facing in a not a not a new way but in a more more stark and in your face way than we have in recent years tie this moment of reckoning into the broader history and the broader narrative of who we are as God's people and what our calling is and here's the biggest piece of our identity as God's people that's relevant to this conversation today. Our identity is a light to the nations. That's our calling. 
as Jesus' followers and as God's children. We are called to be a light to the nations to recognize, to reflect God's image and God's presence into the world around us, especially to people who don't know him yet. Amen. We are called to be a light to the nations. That's been our calling from the beginning of the scriptures. Now, a huge part of being a light to the nations is to practice justice and equity. That's central to operating as the people of God. Look at the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Look at how often the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, the foreigner, the immigrant, people who were vulnerable and whom society could easily step on and take advantage of. Look at how many times God's people are instructed to treat those who are vulnerable and those who are oppressed with justice and equity. Not just treating them fairly, but making them feel a part of God's people. Look at how that justice, that equity, and that presence of God, that holiness, are supposed to be a part of reflecting God's presence into the world around us and make us a light for his name to the nations around us. Look at the prophet Isaiah. This theme is all throughout the prophets, both justice and equity, and this theme of reflecting God's character to the people around us. It's all throughout the Torah. It's all throughout the historical books of the scriptures. It's all throughout the prophets. Look at Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. It's speaking of Zion, the, the, the people of God. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Right As we worship the Lord, as he rises upon us and his presence dwells with us, people see his character. People see his identity within us, and they're drawn to that light, to that brightness. Amen. Look at Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 to 6. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, right, this is a prophetic, this is a prophetic foretelling of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. And it's saying, before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He has made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. 
for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you, look at this, a light for the nations. I will make my son Jesus a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God's calling for us as servants of that Messiah, Jesus, is to show who he is and how good he is and how just he is and how loving he is to everyone around us, to be a light to the nations. Now, what I want to submit to you today is that part of a, a huge part of our calling today in this moment in history of being a light to the nations, of being representatives, ambassadors of Jesus in this world is for us to display costly unity and true justice. Costly unity and true justice. Our calling is to show what it'll be like in heaven, to show the sort of togetherness, the, short, the sort of justice and uplifting of the brokenhearted, to show what it's like to live in the here and now in God's presence. Costly unity and true justice. Now, there are countless barriers to unity and to justice throughout history. In the New Testament, we see the consistent theme of friction between Jew and Gentile. We see consistent friction among different nationalities and ethnicities within the community of faith. But we are aware of God's presence being shown by those early Christians living in harmony and upholding justice and unity, uplifting the oppressed and unifying their body across lines of difference. And those are were in the New Testament and are today signs that will draw people to God. We see at the moment of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descends in power, when the people of God receive the power of the Holy Spirit to speak in different tongues, to speak in different languages, we see people from a litany of different ethnicities, different geographical locations, coming together and praising God as one voice, as one body. And we see everyone around them seeing that miraculous sign and that being something that draws them to God. And where thousands said yes to the call of Jesus that day because they saw people worshiping God together across those lines of difference. Now that beautiful moment didn't end with a simple kumbaya and moving on about a nice day. 
from that point of unification of God's people across lines of difference, there came friction. There came difficulty. We heard two weeks ago, we heard uh, Pastor Rashad Clemens speak on the instances where different types of Jewish believers had their widows treated differently in the distribution of food, depending on whether they were Greek speaking in Greek culture or Hebrew speaking in Hebrew culture. And the people of God entered into the difficult work of figuring out what it meant to do justice and to care for those who had been oppressed. And that was seen as divine and powerful work, that that practical work of making sure that people were treated justly across lines of difference. That was divine ministry. And our calling today is to embody that same spirit. Where injustice has been done in the world around us, within the, excuse me, within the community of faith and outside of the community of faith, wherever we see it and have an opportunity to intervene. That's part of our calling as God's people to reflect God's character into this world by how we treat one another and how we treat those who are outside of the community of faith. That's our identity. Now, what is our action in today's world in response to that identity? What does a win look like in pursuing unity across differences, specifically of racial and ethnic lines, and pursuing justice for those who have been oppressed by the sin, the communal sin of racism. I'll tell two personal stories as a black man trying to operate in Christian circles in the day and age that we live in. Two, two moments for me that personally felt like a win. Part of my week I spend working as a chaplain in our county's House of Correction. And that's well known about me within my church. And there was a white woman within our church who came to me just as a sister in Christ and was getting to know me a little better. And I was telling her about my prison work. And she said, wow, as a black man working in, a, in an incarceration context, that must be complex for you, given all of the societal difficulties surrounding racism within the justice system and, and mass incarceration. That must be a, a complex thing for you. And I said, yeah, it is. It's actually something I think a lot about. The fact that she was not afraid to have the conversation. She wasn't afraid of offending me or, or, or digging into something that was difficult because she cared for me as a brother in Christ. And she cared for what I must be experiencing mentally and emotionally based on the, the history of racism that the people group that I come from has experienced. That felt like a win to me. She saw me, she saw 
the suffering that I and my ancestors have experienced based on our racial identity. And she cared for me across that line of difference. Amen. That felt like a win. That felt like her embodying what it meant to be someone who was practicing justice and unity. I'll tell you another story. This is a long story that I'm going to tell the short version. There was a time where myself, my brother, and our friend were on a camping trip. Long story short, we got very lost in the woods and knocked on a few doors to try to get a phone to call our family to come find us and pick us up. And this was a rural area and we're three black boys, three black teenagers. And all of a sudden, nobody has a house phone. Nobody has a cell phone. Nobody's home at the half dozen or so doors that we knock at. And one door we knock at, somebody from across the yard uh, pops their head uh, out of the window and uh, instructs us in no uncertain terms to get off of his property with uh, some explicit words and racial epithets and uh, shoots a uh, shotgun at us. Uh, not quite sure if he was shooting at us or warning shots in the air, what have you, but needless to say, it, it uh, scared us quite a bit. That was some years ago, but uh, recently when uh, Ahmad Arbery was chased down at, for four minutes and shot in the street, that watching that uh, video and hearing that story brought that experience from my past brought that to the, the front of my mind. And I had a visceral reaction when I viewed that, uh, that killing and, and that really made me think, wow, that could have been me and my brother and my friend. And I shared that in that moment when, when that, uh, when that uh, racially motivated killing was fresh in our collective mind. I shared that with a number of people in my faith community and people received that. They, they, they didn't fear that story because it touched on uh, controversial political issues. They didn't feel the need to question me about, oh, was it really uh, racially motivated or, or anything of that nature? People responded to me with compassion and acceptance. That felt like a win to me. That felt like my com faith community embodying the compassion that results from costly unity, true justice. A few other things that feel like a win in the context of the local church when we are trying to support our brothers and, and sisters, especially our, our brothers and sisters of color who are who have experienced or are experiencing racial injustice or whose people have a history of experiencing racial justice, racial injustice, excuse me. Not jumping too quickly to let's pray feels like a win to me. Too often we rush past hearing and entering into the pain and the suffering of our brothers and sisters of color because we are either questioning 
whether or not it was truly uh, racial in nature, what, what they experienced, whether we are questioning their experience, whether we are nervous or, or awkward about having the difficult conversations. So the easy thing is, oh, let's just pray. Let's just pray. Now, praise God that we're people who praise, amen? <laughs> praise God that we go before the throne of God with boldness, making our requests known to him, as it says in the book of Hebrews. Praise God that we pray. But let's not use prayer to shut people up when they're talking about difficult things that we don't want to enter into. Amen. Let's hear the true depths of people's experiences with racism and pray once we have fully heard that person's heart. A win feels like not pulling away into awkward silence when someone brings up something surrounding race or changes the subject very quickly. But when we can enter in, as you all at Reunion Church are doing with this sermon series, when we can enter in to that difficult conversation with compassion, with understanding. That's what it looks like to pursue unity within the body of Christ. What does it look like to pursue justice across racial lines? What does it look like to pursue justice in a nation whose history is littered with racial injustice from slavery to Jim Crow to mass incarceration to uh, police violence to all these different things that have racial connotations to them. Well, the first part of pursuing justice is to know the history of racial injustice. I had someone recently compare it to knowing the history of the scriptures. We want to understand God's word. So we dig into the historical background of each chapter, of each book, of each verse, of who wrote it, of who it was written to, of what the different linguistic nuances meant based on the moment in history that it came from. In a similar way, it's important to know the history of racism, racial, racial injustice, if we want to understand how it stands today and how we can make a difference. Understanding, as Matt and Rashad have spoken previously, as well as the, the sermon from last week. Forgive me, I'm recording this before uh, the 20th, so I haven't heard that sermon yet, but I'm sure it's digging into the history as well. But to know the depths of the history of things like redlining in the city of Boston, to know the history of how police have operated in communities of color, know the history of how immigrants and people of color have been discriminated against to understand the complexities as much as we can. And once we dig into that history to recognize that we're not called as God's people to untie every single knot that racism has caused. We're not called to change every single racist policy that has ever been written and set in stone. What we're called to do 
is to be a light to the nations. Amen. To be a sign and a wonder and a miracle amidst a divided and broken and unjust world. Right? And one way that we do that, one essential way that we do that is to enter into the places, the communities where racism and, and racist policies have ravaged the community. Understanding the history of why most of the poor communities and most of the communities in need are typically the communities of color. It's not something wrong with people of color. It's something wrong with the policies that have created these lines and these dynamics. Understanding that history and entering into those communities that have been created and kept down by racism, entering in with the joy and the hope of the gospel, but entering in with humility, amen? Not entering in with any sort of savior complex, but entering in recognizing that we have something to offer those who are experiencing the pain and, and the frustration of racism and entering in recognizing that those who are within those communities have something to teach us, that we can be sanctified and uplifted and cared for by people who are different from us, people who have different histories than us. If you are somebody who comes from a sub suburban white community, you have something to learn. You have something to gain. You have some way to grow from being cared for and discipled by people of color, by poor people. If you are a poor person, if you are a person of color, if you are someone who has been marginalized and oppressed by racism or classism, you have something to offer. You have a way to be empowered. You have a way to care for people. And that is by the uplifting power of Jesus. Amen. By your identification with Jesus. If you are a poor white person, if you are one who has been pushed to the side and marginalized by forces other than racism, you're not insignificant either. That's another line that is drawn between people that is trying to divide the people of God that needs to be broken down by the power of the gospel. If you are a, a wealthy and well-educated person of color, praise God, but you have powerful things to offer people who are different from you racially, people who are different from you ethnically, people who are different from you economically. God has gifted each and every one of us in a way where we can be a sign and a wonder and a miracle and a light to everyone around us to show how good God is because of how good he has been to us, how many gifts he has given to us. When the world becomes divided and frustrated. And when the world becomes tired 
of how divisive and how vitriolic conversations of race become. We don't shrink back from that discomfort. We enter in with the healing balm of God's grace. We don't shrink back from discomfort because we follow Jesus. Jesus achieved unity, brought people together across every line, every boundary, every barrier by going to the cross. And let me tell you, there is no place more uncomfortable than the cross. If Jesus went to the cross, we follow him into the discomfort. And we bring healing there. We bring grace there. Amen. Now, let me close with this. You've heard me a few times use the term costly unity. There was a German theologian who was executed during the Holocaust. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor. He was a writer and he was a powerful and dedicated and loving man of God. He has a well-known concept where he differentiates between cheap grace and costly grace. There's much that can be said about his concept, but briefly, cheap grace is a pseudo grace that is not of God. You're forgiven, but you don't have to change. You just... You come as you are, but you stay as you are. There's no sanctification, there's no growth. But the kind of grace that God offers, that God desires so deeply to give us is costly. We receive it for free, but having costly grace necessitates that we change and that we grow. What I wanna to submit to you today is the difference between cheap unity and costly unity. Cheap unity is the preaching of diversity without confronting disparity or discrimination. Cheap unity is the doctrine of colorblindness or the celebration of people's cultures without understanding the painful history of their race and ethnicity. Cheap unity produces awkward silences when Christians of color share wounds from racist encounters or outrage at unjust systems. Cheap unity is no unity at all. Costly unity, on the other hand, requires justice and equity. Costly unity involves seeing and knowing wounds that prejudice and injustice have caused Christians of color, seeking true healing and not just quick cover-ups. Costly unity means clearly, unequivocally calling out racial injustice as evil and petitioning God to intervene on behalf of brothers and sisters of color. Costly unity is the only kind of unity that God desires from us. Costly unity and true divine justice is one of the primary ways I believe in this day and age, this day and age where 
the persistent and pervasive sin of racism is being reckoned with. Being unified in a way that costs us something. This is a sign and a wonder and a miracle amid our world today that will draw people, amen, to the saving power of Jesus. People will see us unified when we have no business being unified. Practicing justice when we should be burnt out and tired of the conversation. Uplifting those people of color who have been oppressed, Black, white, Asian, Latino, Arab. Uplifting those both within our community of faith and outside of it in such a way that draws people to the love and the compassion and the grace and the justice that we embody that comes straight from the throne room of heaven. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come before you today, humble and thankful. You are good and your mercy endures forever. Thank you for this community of faith, this expression of a local church that is an embodiment of your unity and your justice and your love and your grace, Reunion Church of Boston. Lord, I pray that you would empower this beautiful body of believers, humble them and strengthen them to enter into the conversations and the actions that so easily divide those who are in the world without your saving grace. But the conversations and the actions that strengthen the bonds between brothers and sisters in Christ. Give them grace and strength to show your character of justice, equity, unity, respect, and love to everyone around them and to embody not cheap unity, but costly unity. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you today.